Praise God. Uh, you know what? Uh, we were going to do a, uh, was gonna do a little talk on the Shroud of Turin. I decided to wait for uh, the next resurrection to do that because we just had so many teachings on the cross and a couple on the resurrection and so forth. And I, I cut up some clips and stuff and so forth. And uh, so I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to wait till next year because it's kind of a full-blown, it's full throttle. It's really interesting. I'll probably, I'm going to wait till next year on that. But I'm going to take you through something. We're going to be back in Revelation hopefully uh, real soon again. Uh, like I said, we've been jumping around from different books. We're going to go through an entire book today. Uh, so it's like, oh, we're, now we're still, well, we've gone through other books like Revelation, or I'm sorry, like Jude right now today. We're going to go through all the way through the book of Jude. And Jude, the bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, and it goes on and on. I memorized the book a few months back. I finally finished memorizing it and committed to memory. I'm not going to quote it for you today, uh, but it's something I just, if I'm laying in bed, a lot of times I'll just, I'll memorize certain scripture or, you know, or I'll go through scripture I have memorized. And the book of Jude is one of those books that I just love to just focus on. And I thought, you know what? We're going to go through the book of Jude verse by verse eventually. But I thought, you know, instead of, and there's one, you'll notice when we go through it verse by verse today, all the entire book, you'll be a lot of meat on the bone. Like, wow, I wish, because it's so packed. This is the most packed maybe book, you know, pound for pound, one of the heaviest books in the Bible. You know, or word for word, I should say. It's so many concepts are brought up, and there's so many things. And it's why you like to study a book, right? Sometimes it's good to jet through a book. You know, I've jetted through the book of Revelation, believe it or not. On, on I think it was, what, Chad, about a year ago or so, we went through the book of Revelation. I think it was an hour or something like that, you know. And Chad was betting I couldn't do it. So that would be like the third time we went through the book of Revelation, then, I guess, if you think about it. <laughs> uh, but we're going to go through the entire book of Jude. And there's 24 verses in the book of Jude. So that means I only get like two minutes a verse or so, you know, uh, two and a half maybe. Uh, so I'm not going to be able to hang out any verse very long. And maybe some a little bit longer than others, but I've got to, that means I've got to shorten others. So I know it's be like, oh, I wish we'd talked about this more. I wish we could. Well, that's when we go through it verse by verse. It's such a packed book. But let's look at this book. Uh, verse 1, Jude, the introduction. A bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. You know, Jude is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I love how he intros himself because he's actually the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. As with James and Joseph, he, his brethren didn't believe in him. I mean, he's the older brother. and He could walk on water. It's like, what in the world? Until after the resurrection, it says. Mary, with the exception of Mary, his family didn't accept him as the Messiah at first. He's, all of a sudden, he's got these disciples and he's going all over the place and and it's kind of amazing when you think about it. But uh, his brothers, after the resurrection, they're like, wow, you know. And Jude was one of his brothers. And we have uh, a book by Jude. And I love that he is so humble. He doesn't say, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. Better listen to me. He doesn't say that, you know. It's Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ the, and brother of James. James is another half-brother of Jesus. And while Jude was an apostle, he had some clout as a half-brother of Jesus and one that examined the life of Jesus very closely and was blown away by his resurrection. But notice he calls himself a bondservant of Jesus. I still want to dive into what it means to be a bondservant, but I can't. But we're servants of the Lord, amen? We're children of God, but we're also his servants, amen? I love the whole process of how somebody became a lifelong servant in the Old Testament, which I can't get into right now. But uh, he says, to those who are the called... We've been called and beloved in God the Father. Many are called, few are chosen. The awesome thing is, is God's called you, man. He's called you to himself. And what's the differentiation between the many that are called and the fewer that are chosen? If you go and look at Jesus' parable, when he talks about many being called and few being chosen, all kinds of people are invited, right, to the wedding feast, but only those who don't make excuses and are willing to come end up being chosen, he calls everybody. He doesn't will that any would perish. Amen. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Many, he wants everyone to come. Come to me, all of you, he says. All of you who are weary and heavy laden. But only those who respond to the call and say, yes, Lord, become chosen. Amen. And I, I love the old analogy when heaven's gates on the outside, it says, whosoever will may come, right? But then you walk in and you turn around the other side of the gates, those who've been chosen by God from the foundation of the world. He knows who's going to respond to his call and who will not. Jude, a bondservant 
of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father. Isn't it awesome to know that we are beloved? You're beloved, you know. I love verses like that talk about how he loves us and for God so loved the world and, and that we're his beloved, Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, that he loves us so much and that Jesus says to the Father that you've loved them, that's us, with the same love with which you've loved me. I can't get my brain around that. Because you know how much the Father loves Jesus? It's hard to comprehend, but he loves you like that. He says you've loved them with the same love with which you've loved me. You are beloved of the Father. And that's why he says, cast your cares on me because I care for you. You going through anxiety right now? You facing troubles? You facing trials and tribulations and hardships? Cast your cares on him. He cares for you. Amen. You have not because you ask not, the Lord says. He cares about you wonderfully, so much that he sent his son to die for you. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother James, to those who are the call, beloved of God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Wow. I love that. We are kept for Jesus Christ. Amen. By the Father's power, we are being kept. I love 1 Peter 1.5. which says we are kept by the power of God through faith. Amen. For the salvation that is to be revealed at the end time. We are kept by God's power. Amen. We are secure in Christ. And if you're in Jesus, praise God, there's keeping power. That was an interesting play on the words of keep and kept throughout the book of Jude that creates this tension that shows you how God keeps us, but there is also a responsibility of the believer to continue in the faith. Amen. And we, we shouldn't just preach one side or the other. We need to preach that we're kept, but we also need to keep in mind 1 Peter 1 5 says we're kept by the power of God through faith. Amen. So it's conditional upon faith. Just like Jesus died for all, and all, many are called, right? Many as opposed to few. The world gave himself a ransom for all. 1 Timothy 2.6. Not all are saved, even though he gave himself for all, because many refuse to believe. So praise God we have, we're kept by the Lord. Amen? You don't have to worry about slipping out of his hand. Like, man, I just hope God doesn't wake up someday angry at me. God's faithful. Amen? He's faithful. Now, verse 2. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. I love that. Notice mercy precedes peace. Peace never comes before grace or mercy. It's always mercy or grace before peace. Because the Bible says twice, for instance, in Isaiah, there's no peace to the wicked. You can't have peace with God if you're living a wicked life. And there's so many millions of people wanting peace, hundreds of millions of people wanting peace out there, but they can't have it because they're refusing to submit to the Lord. Okay, we live, Jesus says in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world, amen? So he offers us peace. And the more we seek him in faith and cry out to him and submit to him, the more we enjoy his peace. Oh, there'll be times where you get put in a tailspin. There'll be times uh, when you're broadsided by life, but he, but guess what? You'll always come out of that, 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 that dark chasm, amen, that valley, if you keep the faith. And he gives us that peace that passes, the Bible says, human understanding. And I love that he says mercy, because you need God's mercy, his forgiveness, before you can have peace, amen? Because if you reject Christ, you reject his grace, you reject his salvation, there's no peace if you're living an alienated life from him. And I love it because he says, I love this, may mercy and peace and love, and love, amen? Love's the greatest, even though it's last in that list of three, Amen? Because it just keeps building. First you get mercy, you experience the salvation, which is his love. Then you experience his peace. And then you experience a greater dimension of his love as you get to know the Lord more. And it says, may they be what? Multiplied to you. I love that God's not just in arithmetic, man. I'm glad he's into multiplication, amen. He multiplies these things in our lives as we seek him. And I have, by the grace of God, tremendous peace in my life. But the peace that is in my life is far greater than it was when I was first a believer. You know, and that comes from just continuing to seek the Lord through the years. Verse three, beloved. Now he addresses, says they're loved of God, verse one, right? Beloved in the Father. Verse two, he wants love to be multiplied to us. Now he calls us beloved. A lot of people, when they think of Jude, they don't realize there's so much love in the book of Jude, but in the first three verses, love is mentioned three times. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, Man, I was, it was my heart, man. It was on my heart. I was going to write to you about the, just the salvation message, right? I was going to write to you about the cross. I was going to write to you about what Jesus did for us, perhaps the resurrection, right, and sanctification, all those things. We don't know exactly what is mine, but we want to write about salvation, but look what happens. 
While I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you what? Contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. There you are. Praise the Lord, baby. Uh, we are just all wondering where you went. I'm, I'm teasing you. <laughs> uh, Beloved, uh, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you what? Contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. Wow. Now, I was going to write to you about our common salvation, but guess what? God laid it on his heart to write to us to earnestly contend for the faith. Isn't that interesting? And I love that God did that, you know, because... A lot of times believers think that we're just supposed to sit by passively. Or they're like, oh, maybe we're supposed to share the gospel, but they don't contend for the faith. As Christians, and this is not written to just a super elite Christians, this is written to all true believers, we're all called in Scripture to fight or contend for the faith. As Paul put it, fight the good fight. Lay hold on eternal life. Christians are warriors. Paul said we are soldiers. Amen? In 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says the weapons of our warfare in 2 Corinthians 10 are not carnal or physical, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. You are a warrior. If you're a Christian, you are supposed to be a warrior for God. Not a warrior with physical weapons, okay? God will judge all that use evil weapons in an ungodly way and so forth. Of course, there's wars and you've got to protect your home and so forth like that. But as far as spreading the Christian faith, we're not to be militant at all, amen? Okay, but we are to be spiritually militant in the sense that we preach the good news and we take up the whole armor of God, amen, which is defensive and offensive. You put on these defensive weapons so you can progress offensively and preach the good news, taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, amen, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith with which we can quench all the fiery darts or arrows of the evil one, amen. The shield of faith is, is awesome. Uh, the belt of truth, uh, the feet shod, the preparation of the gospel of peace. We need all these different pieces of armor because we have a spiritual warfare and we're supposed to be contending for the truth. We're supposed to be fighting for the truth. And, uh, th and guess what? The truth is always under attack because our foe, our ultimate foe is Satan. And in John chapter 8, verse 44, Satan calls Satan what? Jesus calls Satan what? The father of lies. Amen. And he was a murderer from the beginning. He did not remain in the truth. So we have a spiritual war, and we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the world of the darkness of this world. So there's spiritual entities that are at war with you, personally, that want to destroy you. You fight against them in the faith, but they also bring in false doctrines and false teachings to destroy the faith. Praise God, Jesus said, I'll build my church. John 6, or Matthew 16, 18, he promised, and the gates of hell will what? Not prevail against it. But you are in a war. And if you wake up in the day, don't realize that you're supposed to contend for the faith. And you think, well, life's a you know, stroll through the park. It's a bowl of cherries. You know, I'm a Christian now. I'm just going to hang out in a cloud someday. No, man. You're a warrior for Jesus. This is not a playground. We're in a war zone. If you're kicking back and you're not putting your armor on, you're already losing the battle. Amen? So you have to recognize we're in a spiritual war. And God's called you and designed you and made you to not only become his child, but to be a warrior for Jesus. Amen? So he says... He was going to share with a common salvation, but then in the middle of verse 3, he says, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend, contend, fight earnestly. Not just a little fight, that you were earnestly contending for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. So we're supposed to be contending for what? The faith. Faith in who? Faith in Jesus Christ. That he's the way, the truth, and the life. That he's our salvation. Amen? Now it's interesting. Verse 4, he gets more specific in what he specifically... Now, this verse, verse 3, can apply to all kinds of different types of spiritual warfare. Jude 3. In fact, Walter Martin, the late great, I, call him, I like to call him the late great Walter Martin, Dr. Walter Martin. He was the Bible answer man for years. And Walter Martin, uh, he was an apologist who would stand for the Christian faith. In fact, we have 24-7 Good Fight Radio you could listen to. And Walter Martin, is, we've got, we got uh, uh, permission to air his teachings through the years. And you'll hear him on our Good Fight Radio. If you haven't listened to Good Fight Radio, man, I, pff, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better radio station on the planet, okay? Because it's got so much solid teaching. I'm not just saying that. I'm not saying that because I'm on there, you know. But we've got all these different teachers, you know, that are very solid and are contending for the faith. 
pretty awesome. Now, it's interesting because Walter Martin, I bring him up because he had Jude 3 on his license plate. If you looked at his license plate on his car, you'd see Jude 3. That's not like a little kid being a siren or something. Chris, you're good at that. You sounded like a kid when you did that. <laughs> Just kidding. It, was, it wasn't Chris. But uh, anyway, so it's important that we contend for the faith. Now, check out verse 4. And I'm like, man, am I okay with the clock? I've got to keep a good pace here. I don't, don't practice this stuff. I just pray about it and put it together. But in verse 4, for certain persons have what? These are those he wants us to contend against. You understand? Verse 4, he's saying, hey, this is the main thing he's concerned about that's entering into the church already in the first century. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. So let you know from the get-go, Walter Martin in you know, Jude 3, and when he'd contend for the faith, he was usually contending against Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and others that were, and it was called, and he wrote a book called Kingdom of the Cults. Amazing book if you don't have it. Great book, Kingdom of the Cults, exposing JWs and Mormons and different cults and so forth. And I think it's interesting because I do believe verse 3 can have that application. Obviously, that's one way you contend for the faith against the cults, right? On our Good Fight radio program, we've had a series we've been doing now on, on, on witnessing to those at your doorstep, and we're going through all kinds of different people we need to witness to. But guess what? When he says here, contend for the faith, he's not talking about the cults on the outside of the church. Look at verse 4. For certain persons have crept what? In unnoticed. Okay? They're not noticed. They're considered Christian teachers. They're accepted within the body of Christ and not recognizable not readily recognizable because they talk about the gospel. They talk about what Jesus did for our sins, for us and everything else. They sound, they sound orthodox. They sound legit. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. But he says, those who long beforehand, uh, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. God revealed long before time that these guys would, would, would be condemned. Okay? And they're ungodly persons. So even though they're in the church, they're not living godly lives. If you looked at their lives, if you could see how they live their lifestyles, you would see that they're not living godly lives. Ungodly persons who turn the grace. Now here's what they do. Here's the twist. Here's what you're supposed to be contending against. They what? They turn or twist the grace of our God into what? Licentiousness. Or a license for immorality. So the false teachers that have come in, and by the way, you know why this book of Jude is hardly ever preached? You hardly ever hear Jude. Because a lot of the preachers that are really, really well known, a lot of them, I'm sorry to say, I have to say it though, because I have to contend for the faith, are turning God's grace into a license for immorality. Some of the most biggest names you know when you listen to Christian radio are turning God's grace into a license for immorality. And it's heartbreaking because these are people that are unnoticed that would be in the church. And this wasn't just written for the latter part of the first century and the second century church. This is, this is the word of God. It endures forever. So they turn what? They turn the grace of God into licentiousness and what? Deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. But wait a minute. They deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't they be noticeable? No, because they're not going around saying Jesus Christ is not Lord. Jesus is not Master. They'd be an obviously wolf, right? In fact, they wouldn't even be in sheep's clothing. They would not even be wearing sheep's clothing. They'd be naked wolves because they'd be denying our Lord verbally, right? And we'd say, hey, there's the door, man. You don't believe Jesus Christ is Lord. This is a Christian church. You're not welcome here, right? Instead of giving the right hand of fellowship, we give them the right boot of disfellowship, right? <laughs> Out of here, man. In the name of Jesus, we love you. But hey, you can't do that, man. But guess what? He's not talking about those who verbally deny Jesus Christ as being Lord. He's talking about those who are unnoticed. They're denying him as being Lord by being ungodly in their lifestyles and turning the grace of God, what Jesus Christ did on the cross for our sins, into a license to say, hey, you can sin and live in sin and still be right with God. Isn't that amazing? Now, it's interesting because, because you can deny him by your works in Titus chapter 1, verse 16, it says of certain false teachers, they profess to know him. See, they call him Lord. Many, Jesus said, many will say, Lord, Lord. But by their works, they what? Deny him. deny him. 
So you can profess him. It says, with their mouths they profess him, but by their works they deny him. And Jesus said, many will come to me on that day saying, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy your name and cast out demons in your name and do all these wonderful miracles in your name? Miracles in your name? He said, depart from me. I never need you. You know, depart from me. Right? You did not do the will of the Father, he said. Isn't that interesting? He says, depart from me. You did not do the will of the Father. And he says, you workers of lawlessness. Are you with me? They're calling him Lord, but they're not doing the Father's will. They're workers of lawlessness, but they're saying they're saved by grace. And their message is that you can be saved by grace. Of course, they're not saying, hey, you're saved by grace. Go do whatever you want, you know. But they're saying you can do whatever you want and still be saved. Have you ever heard that doctrine in the church? It's everywhere. It's called once saved, always saved. It's, it teaches that. And I'm not talking about those who say if you're a believer, you, you'll persevere and you have to persevere. Okay? I'm talking about those who say you can become a Christian and then you can rebel against God and you'll just lose some rewards. That's a popular teaching today. In fact, that's one of the most popular teachings on Christian radio out there. Have any of you heard that? It's all over the place. So it's interesting. In verse 4, now it's really interesting because this was already happening in the early church period. Okay? We know from the writings of the early church fathers. In fact, a lot of the Gnostics who claimed to be Christians, who claimed that Jesus was Lord, but had real twisted theologies, depending on the Gnostics you talk to, you know, claimed to follow Jesus, claimed he was their Savior. A lot of the Gnostics were teaching that, and I don't have time to get into it because I'm probably already over my limit on some of these verses. I've got to speed up, you know. But some of these Gnostics were teaching, hey, you know what? We've been predestined by God, to eternal life. Therefore, it doesn't matter how we live ultimately. Oh, yeah, we should live for God, but hey, you know, and I don't have time to get into their cosmology, the Valentinians, and there's so many Gnostic groups, but a lot of them were teaching a license to sin. In fact, Irenaeus, who wrote against heresies, probably the most, if not one of the most important works in the early church period, the most important work to fight against the greatest threat in the second century called against heresies, against that which is falsely called gnosis or knowledge. He talked about how the Gnostics would actually, the leaders would take women in adultery and claim it's okay because we're saved. Origen, one of the early church fathers, said the Gnostics believe people are lost in such a way they can't be saved. In other words, they're lost, but they haven't been predestined, so God really doesn't want them to be saved. And, there's, and he said, and there's those who are, believe they're saved in such a way that they can't be lost. In other words, since they're predestined salvation, they can't fall away. And the early church fathers were warning against the same thing I believe Jude is warned against. I have a, uh, a book by Elaine Pagels. She wrote uh, the Gnostic Gospels, and she's the most popular Gnostic writer that's pro-Gnostic in the last 30 years. And I got a book where she just she celebrates Paul, and, and she points out that how the Gnostic took, Gnostics took Paul's writings. And over and over again, she points out, she thinks it's a good thing that she, they took Paul's writings and they would present them in such a way that you could just do whatever you want. License. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what the Gnostics did. But unfortunately and tragically and very, very sadly, that view of predestination has come down the line. And it's, it came through Augustine, from the Gnostics to Augustine, to Calvin, to a lot of the modern church, to where a lot of people now believe if you're saved, you've been predestined to salvation, there's no way you could be lost. And it's interesting, and I tell this story sometimes, that my wife and I ran into a friend named Gail, first person I led to Christ, and uh, I, I shared with, and then she came to Christ, and, and we love her, and she's awesome, but she came out of it, but she came into this, she went into a Calvinistic church, and five-point Calvinist church, and, and all, we saw her, and she was, had been drinking, and and she says, yeah, she was led astray. But at that time, she felt she was saved, even though she was out of it. And she said, just clearly, she said to Lisa, she said, and it was a public thing. Lisa goes, Gail, you're, you're drinking. You're not, I mean, she's drunk at the time, right? And she said, I believe that I'm either lost and I can't be saved because I'm not predestined, or I'm saved and I can't be lost because I'm chosen. So it didn't matter. And my heart just broke. Now, a lot of Calvinists would say, well, that's not the, what Calvinism actually teaches. You can't just do that. That means you probably would never were saved, you know. But the Bible does recognize there's prodigal sins that can fall away, right? But there's a lot of those who hold that view today. And a lot of these are people that are just like maybe just one-point Calvinists, just eternal security, and they believe you could just fall away. In fact, Charles Stanley, 
in the very beginning of his book called Eternal Security. And his son is now teaching and presenting, making cases for you could be homosexuals that are fine in the church and so forth and even be ushers and so forth or door greeters and whatever. Uh, his son, Andy Stanley, is very popular, more popular in many quarters than his dad now. His, his dad, Charles Stanley, he says at the beginning of his book, I have it, on eternal security, he talks about how we're predestined, and that's the basis of once saved, always saved. And then in chapter 13 of the book, he mentions Hebrews chapter 10, and he says, in 6 and so forth, and he says, even if you turn against Christ as a false messiah, you don't believe in him anymore, you, tr- you believe he's a false messiah, right? You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. Ooh, man, is the book of Hebrews saying that? When the book of Hebrews in chapter 4 says, let us, let us fear, lest we fail to enter that rest. Hebrews 12, verse 29, you know, you know and, and, and right around there as well, through 30, it says that our God's a consuming fire. Let us fear, right, that we might keep grace, it says. You guys, this is just crazy what's going on in the church today. But you know what's interesting? He makes these cases. He, he, does, he wants us to, now, brothers and sisters, you and I are warned in Scripture to contend for the faith in regard to this area. Thus saith verse 3 and 4, thus saith the Lord. We're supposed to fight against the idea that grace can be turned into a license of sin. I mean, we have these great passages on my, my left and right, Titus 2, 13 and 14, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people zealous for good deeds. But you know what verse didn't make that because it's not big enough, big enough? It says the grace of God just before that, that brings salvation, has appeared to all men, right? Not just a few appears to all men, and it teaches us the true grace of God. The grace of God, he says, teaches us to live godly lives in this present world. Amen? Amen. To live righteously and soberly, it says, in this present world. God's true grace teaches us to hate sin, to love Jesus, love him because he first loved us. Amen? He has forgiven much, loves much, and if you love me, you obey my commandments. So if you've truly been saved by God's grace, amen, and you're open and aware of what his grace is about, you will want to follow him. You will want to obey him. Amen? It doesn't mean you won't struggle at times, but it does mean you won't be in rebellion to him and live a life of rebellion to him and call him Lord still, but live a wicked life and say, I'm saved no matter what I do. The book of Jude is heavy, man. I'm telling you, there's a reason why it's hardly preached because it's such an exciting book, too. It's like, why are people preaching this? Well, it exposes a lot of teachers. And now what he does, he gives a few examples of what happens to people who to counter that argument that grace means, it's like an open sesame, says me to just, you know, open sesame, just, you know, live, do what thou wilt, man. It's do what thou wilt in the church. He combats this teaching by giving a few examples in a row that show you that, hey, God is not sending his grace to mean, I mean, as Paul said, should we continue to sin that grace may increase? He says that in Romans chapter 6, say, may, nay, may it never be. Okay, the King James says, God forbid. But the Greek says, may it never be, you know? Because he saved us to set us free from sin. We're, those who are been, have experienced his grace, Paul goes on, have been, have, have been set free from sin, amen? Are dead to sin, he goes on to say. Now, he, the first example he gives to combat that view, and by the way, brothers and sisters, this is the, the arguments he's using, is the arguments you should be using for people that believe they could just live like hell and still enter the kingdom of God, Amen? And I praise God for Gail because she had such a, she just got caught up in the church where they're teaching that stuff. And then she had, she had a change of heart. She saw what was through it. And then she was like, whoa, you know. And I've seen her off and on since. And when I've seen her, you know, she loves the Lord, you know. And uh, what's interesting, in verse 5, his first example is this. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things, once for all, that the Lord, after what? After saving after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who what? Did not believe. He doesn't say, now by the way, it's interesting because our, King, our NASB says, uh, you know, I desire to explain to you what? That after saving a people once for all, it sounds kind of awkward, right? That's why a lot of uh, saving them once for all, it's kind of, I'm sorry, after, after, I declare to you, what does he say? He says in verse 5, Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all. That sounds a little awkward. Though you know all things once for all. But that's why a lot of translations have, uh, though you know all things, that 
after saving a people, or after once saving a people. You can go to Bible Gateway, and you can look at our, our Bible Hub and see all the different translations. Several of them have several Greek scholars or Greek translations say the once has to do with saving, having once saved them. And when I go verse by verse through this in the future sometime, I'll, I'll show you different translations, which I thought, oh, that's very interesting. Whether it's just saving them or you use once saving them, it's still strong. He's talking about saving people, but it's not once saving them and they're saved no matter what they do. After saving them, they're later what? Is it once they're saved, later they're blessed and they just lose rewards when they live wicked lives? Is that what it says? No, it's not once saved, always saved. It's once saved, then the rebellion. It's once saved, then what? Destroyed. The Bible nowhere teaches once saved, always saved, no matter what you do. The Bible does teach once saved, later destroyed, though. And it's in the context of warning about those who teach that once you're saved, you're always saved, no matter what you do. Now, I desire to remind you, verse 5, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe now, it's interesting here, and I'll just say this. I think it's important that you get this. This example that, that Jude uses here is used by the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4, in Hebrews chapter 3. It talks about how they rebelled against him in the wilderness. Remember that? And then many of them were destroyed. And then he says, the Holy Spirit says to you, don't harden your hearts. And then in verse 12, he says, brethren, and he calls them holy brethren a little bit earlier. book of Hebrews is... Such a strong book against, about warning about continuing the faith. And he calls them holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling in chapter 3, verse 1. But in 3.12, he says, holy brethren. He says, see to it that none of your hearts are hardened. It's talking about, he's not talking about non-Christians. He's talking about believers. See that your hearts are not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and fallen away from the living God. Amen? So, and that you don't fall the same way they did in the wilderness. And Paul uses the same example in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Right after chapter 9, where Paul says, I beat my body down. So after I preached the gospel to others, right, I myself would not become a docomas and rejected by God. Then he goes in right after. So he's, saying, he's concerned in his own walk, okay? Now, I believe Paul had confidence he was going to make it. But at the same time, he says, I don't just go willy-nilly, no big deal. He says, I have to persevere. I beat my body down, so after I preach to others, I myself would not become cast away. But then right after that, the very next verse, chapter 10, verse 1, he gives them, he talks about those who were saved from Egypt, just like we hear in Jude, just like we see in Hebrews chapter 3. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 goes on to say that God saved them out of Egypt. He said that they were baptized in the Sea of Moses, right? And we know what happened, the Passover lamb, right? The, they ate the manna, which is the picture of Jesus, all a picture of Jesus. Paul says they drank from the spiritual rock, which was Christ. And then even though they had all these experiences, he talks about how many of them were laid low in the wilderness. And then he says to the Corinthians, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. God gave us these, he says twice, verse 6 and verse 11, that God had these things written down for us so that we would not fall in the same way they fell. So if you're one that thinks, hey, I'm saved no matter what I do, and you're not taking heed lest you fall, you're setting yourself up for a fall. Because the Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Amen? We have to serve the Lord with fear and trembling. We need to realize he's a serious God and that you can't buy in. And you know what? You know what Jude's contending against back then? How much more is it needed today? When now it's most of the church believes this. By, did you know that? Most church believes you can just fall away now and just do whatever. No wonder the church is so hypocritical and wicked in the United States because a lot of them are living out their doctrine. Because I'll tell you what, man, your, your flesh rages and you must keep it down and consider it dead, amen? But you start pouring this doctrine, hey, once you do whatever, whatever you do, however you live, you know, God doesn't really see it because that's just your flesh, you know, and, and you can do what thou wilt and everything and you're still saved no matter what. That's like throwing gas on a fire, man. And there's all kinds of people living like that. I know, because I talk to them, I minister to them, I witness to them. On the street, a, a pastor's son, all drunk, drunk, headphones blaring. Like Megadeth or someone's just Iron Maiden or whoever it was, Metallica. Just, and he all comes out of the theater, and I'm witnessing to him. He goes, hey, and he's drunker than drunk, man. He's like, nothing, I'm a pastor's son. Nothing can snatch me out of his hands. I'm like, yeah, but you know, he, no one can snatch you out. But guess what? In Luke 12, it says, if that servant, the good and faithful servant, who gives out meat in D.C., and I took him Luke 12, goes out and starts getting drunk with the drunkards, right? 
beating the maidservant and stuff, I'll cut him in pieces and put him with the unbelievers. He looked at that, and I showed him 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Don't be deceived. You know, drunkards, right? On this list, they gave him this list, will not inherit God's kingdom. He started sobering up. He goes, I never really looked at these other verses. I go, yeah, you need to, man. You need to, because your salvation is on the line. You know? So this is very, very important. So Paul warns and gives examples. Jude does the same thing. So, so you can say, hey, God saved a bunch of people out of Egypt. And he draws a line to the New Testament saying, hey, you know, the same way by the word, the way, the word saved there, sozo, the same way, word that Paul uses throughout the New Testament for salvation. Then he gives another example, verse 6. And, the, and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Now, there's fallen angels. We know there's at least a third, but I believe there's more than a third of the angels fell. Why? Because in Revelation chapter, four, chapter 12, it talks about how Satan draws, and this is, a, this is future. They're already fallen angels, but in Revelation chapter 12, it talks about how Satan draws a third of the angels, a third of the stars, but later it says his angels, to earth during the tribulation period, in the middle of the tribulation, in the middle of the 70th week, the last 42 months, the middle of tribulation, Satan is cast down. He no longer can go back and forth and accuse us in heaven. Now he's, boom, and him and his angels are cast down. They're no longer having access to heaven to accuse us before God. But guess what? It says it's a third. I know there's more than a third. Why? Because some of the angels are already in dungeons of darkness. Okay? They abandoned their first abode. They did not remain in the truth, and along with Satan. And they have been cast, and the book of Second Peter talks about this as well. It talks about how they are in a place that Peter uses the word Tartarus in the Greek, Tartarus in the Greek, which is a word uh, that describes the underworld where these fallen angels are. So you have these fallen angels that are confined in darkness. Now it says right here, these angels, they didn't keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for what? For the judgment of the great day. They're just awaiting their judgment. Okay, Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 says that, that hell was created for the devil and his angels. Amen? And the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 25, 26, says God will judge the hosts or the angels of heaven. Okay? So it'll be a judgment of angels. Right now, they're incarcerated, awaiting the great judgment. So now this is important because he's giving, why is he mentioning this? What's his point? He's not just mentioning this to mention it. He's mentioning this to, as a warning for those who turn God's grace into a what? Into a license to sin. Do you get it? In other words, guess what? The angels are greater than us. Okay? And I love this because the arguments they use are profound. Because the angels are greater than us. The Bible calls them uh, sons of God. When Satan appears, right, with, before God to accuse Job, he appears with the sons of God. They're fallen sons, okay? Adam, in I think it's Luke 138, is called, was a son of God. But he's now it says in 2 Peter chapter 2 that the angels are created greater than us. They're greater than us, amen? So these angels that are created greater than us, right, called sons of God, they could forfeit the gift of life. So don't let it go to your head as a human being that you're just so special that you could rebel against God. Are you with me? Now, it's arguing from the greater to the lesser, these angels. And he's going to talk about how these angels are greater than us because later on he's going to say how even the archangel Michael, right, would not uh, make a railing accusation against Satan who's a fallen angel. These angels are greater than us. They're more powerful than us. And they, many of them are lost now. In other words, contend for the faith. How do you do it? Say, hey, guess what? God saved a bunch of people out of Egypt. Later they were destroyed. Hey, hey, these angels of God that are so awesome, so powerful, when they sin, guess what? They're now in chains waiting for the judgment of the great day. Don't think you could just live a life of rebellion against God. And why does the church need to hear this message? Because the church doesn't fear God anymore. And Paul argues from the greater to the lesser too with regard to what we just said in verse 5. Verse 5 is the Jews, the Israelites that were saved out of Egypt. Verse 6 are the angels. In verse 5, you know what Paul says when he argues from the greater to the lesser, not with angels, but with with Jews, he says they're the natural branches, right? And they were cut off because of their what? Unbelief. Unbelief. But you stand by your faith. He's not talking to non-believers. He's talking to those who stand by faith, right? 
And he says, you stand by your faith. But you too could be cut off. He said, don't be high-minded and arrogant against the Jews that were cut off. Because if he did not spare the natural branches, the greater ones, right? How much less will he spare you, the unnatural branches? In other words, the Jews who were the original chosen people, if they can be cut off, you can be. And the angels, if they can be cut off, you can be. Are you with me? Pretty powerful book, isn't it? The strength of taking it all at once is you get to see the whole context all at once. You know? That's the strength of going through a book fast. Some of you are saying, fast, man. We're only in verse 6. <laughs> we'll get there. i got to speed up. Verse 7. Lord, help me speed up. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in what? Gross immorality and went after strange flesh. Now, how did Sodom and Gomorrah go after strange flesh? Men with? Men. Young and old circled the city. Men and old, young and old circled the city to be with the angels, to try to know them, have sex with them, as the NIV says. And they went after strange flesh. Which is kind of interesting because in verse 7, he says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah. What's he saying? What's just as? Because he talks about the angels who did not leave, did not, who abandoned their first abode, right? And sinned. Well, how did they sin? Just as in the same way Sodom and Gomorrah went after strange flesh. I mean, that's why almost every commentator I've read says that's what Judah's saying there. That the angels, and that they usually tie it to Genesis 6. The sons of God had relations with the daughters of men. Based on this connection that uh, Jude makes here, just as many Sodom and Gomorrah did the same thing these angels did. What did they do? They went after strange flesh. So most commentators state, yeah, well, Jude's saying that the angels went after strange flesh, meaning humans, right? But what's Jude saying in verse 7? Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited what? As an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Wow. Right now, to this day, and when we go to Israel, one thing we've never done when we've gone to Israel, we go to the Dead Sea area, and which is by Sodom and Gomorrah. We've never went and looked at the brimstone that's all around, which we'll probably do this next time we do an Israel trip. You may be able to take some home. When you're witnessing, whip out some brimstone. Hey, dude, you know, I got this from Sodom and Gomorrah. And, well, there must have been a volcano or something. Nope, they can't find any evidence of where it came from. I know where it came from. It came from the heavens. Okay, it's still there to this day. Last time on Israel, one brother came up to me, he recognized my voice. He goes, you're Joe Yeah. He goes, look, at, he had bags of brimstone. Man. And I'm like, wow. Okay, and I'm like, praise God, I'm straight, man. Okay, love Jesus, you know. But it's interesting because there you have this, there, it's an example. Sodom and Gomorrah of suffering eternal fire. And Jesus said it would be just like it was in days of Lot in the end times. Amen. And guess what's happening in the church as we talk right now? We have men like Andy Stanley, who are evangelical leaders, so-called. I mean, Chad, oh, was that two months ago we did a radio show on him, a month and a half ago? You go listen, just look for Andy Stanley, and we play where he's just, you know, a lady's in the church saying, she goes, I went to Andy saying, my wife left, my, my husband left me, and he's with another man in the church, and now they're greeters at the front door having sex with that man. And Andy Stanley was justifying it, you know. So, because guess what? We're saved by grace. Are you with me today? This is happening before our very eyes. Where now there's so much, there's so much uh, pressure on the church because you want to be hip. We're not supposed to be conformed to the world though, right? We're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We recognize that God died for those who identify as homosexual, that, uh, bisexual, those who are involved in adultery, those who are involved in fornication, those who are involved in drunkenness. These are all sins, right? But guess what? We recognize Jesus died for them, but we have to repent of these things. We love those folks because guess what? That's who we were too. And God so loved us, amen? And we, don't, we preach he's so loved the world. We don't say God hates you know, as, what do they do, Westboro Baptist, five-point Calvinistic church? God hates, that's their whole deal. You know, that's a big part of the deal. We don't preach that. We preach what Jesus said, for God so loved the world, amen, and that he didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world, but the world through him may be saved, amen. So we preach the love of Christ to people, but we also preach, the, we, Paul said, consider the, 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 the kindness and the severity of God. So we also have to, if we love them, we have to say, hey, but guess what, the church is under pressure. 
Because you have people, men dressed like women, coming and killing baby, little children in the name of uh, transsexualism, right? And it blows me away because there's a lot of pressure in the church now. You know how many pastors, I'm telling you right now, thousands of them are like, man, maybe we need to accept this because this could happen to us. And you know what? They may not go and they may not say, okay, let's accept this because we don't want to be persecuted. Paul warned in Galatians about the Judaizers accepting those who were listening to them, accepting them because they didn't want to be persecuted. Okay? Guess what, folks? There's going to be probably thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of pastors that may not accept it openly, but will just never speak against it anymore. That's what's going to be happening. And it is happening. It's been happening, by the way, for years now. Okay? My life is short. Your life is short. Our lives are vapors. Okay? And I know we get a wide viewing out there. We have some of our videos millions of people have watched. No kidding. So yeah, guess what? I know that by saying this, you know, who knows, you know? But don't, don't say, poor Joe, if something happens to me and I end up in prison or I end up shot or something like that, say, praise God, okay? Because he was genuine, okay? He didn't, he didn't put his finger in there and say, what's popular? We never did. We never will by the grace of God, amen? We say, what's the heart of God? He wants to win the lost. He sent his son to die for the lost, amen? So he's called us to proclaim the gospel. And the gospel shows the good news. But when you preach the good news, you also have to share the bad news so people know they need the good news because someone doesn't know they need a savior, as Jesus said, unless they know that they're sick, amen? And guess what? The whole world is sick, and all of us were sick. Every single one of us were sick. We were sick in sin from head to toe, but the Lord Jesus Christ paid for our sins. He died for us so we could become new creations and so we could live in our hearts and so we could have eternal phone with him in heaven forever and ever. Amen? Amen. What an awesome God we have. So he gives a third example. He gives the Jews that were saved, later destroyed. He gives the angels, even though they were angels of God, they're now bound waiting judgment. Then he gives Sodom and Gomorrah. And Paul says of that period of time in Romans chapter 1, even though they knew God, isn't that interesting, they didn't consider uh, that knowledge something to be held on to, right? But they went after strange flesh. Men with men and women with women in the book of Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 8. Yet in the same way, now I've got to move. <laughs> Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. Briefly, they're dreamers. Brothers and sisters, there's a big thing in the church last so many years about going after your dream. Going after your dream. No, don't go after your dream, man. Go after Jesus, amen? Because your dream will never amount to a hill of beans compared to what he has for you, amen? Because he loves you, he knows you, he, the gospel, he's going to be with him, you're going to be with him forever. It's the most beautiful love story you could possibly be in. If you have your own dream and it distinguished, it's distinct from God's dream, Jesus says, he that's not with me is against me. He that gathers not with me gathers abroad. But these men are dreamers. They're not focused on God's word. They're focused on their own dreams. Jeremiah used the same kind of terminology when he talks about the false prophets. He says, yet the same way these men also by dreaming defile the flesh. Okay? They live wicked lives. They live for the flesh. They, and they reject what? Authority. Because they go by their own dreams. They reject the authority of God's word and men of God that stand up for truth. And they revile angelic majesties. Man, they think they have this, all this authority. They can revile angelic majesties. And they can speak against... Uh, Angels, and they have more power than angels, and so forth. In fact, look at verse 8. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you, which I think is really interesting because some people say, our Seventh day Adventist friends, they say Jesus is Archangel Michael. The, the Watchtower, Jehovah's Witness cult, says that Jesus isn't God, he's Archangel Michael. Well, it's so ridiculous. Know why? Because guess what Michael has to say with Satan? He has to say, The Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus rebuke you, he has to say. But does Jesus have to say that? No, he says, Satan, get behind me. And Satan, gone. Different. Amen? Jesus is not the archangel Michael. Well, what's this dispute about? Come to the verse-by-verse -verse study. Okay, when we do verse-by-verse, -verse, slower. Okay, uh, verse 10. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning, unreasoning animals by these same things, or by these things, I'm sorry, they are what? destroyed, man. So they're, they're like commanding angels and, and so forth. The Gnostics did that, by the way. 
They had all kinds of emissaries and eons and so forth. And but what's interesting, even today as I speak, there is a, a false revival going on right now. A lot of it centered in Bethel, okay, with, with uh, Bill Johnson over there. And the whole Reading thing with the gold dust and supernatural school of wizardry, or they don't say wizardry, but actually they do. They use that, that motif that are, they take Hogwarts and say, that's kind of what this is like, but for God. And there's all these supernatural things supposedly happening and stuff. But guess what, folks? A lot of these folks, I mean, we're going to be exposing it more in depth. We've already done that a little bit in an upcoming series on the NAR, New Apostolic Reformation on Good Freight Radio. But I'm going to tell you right now, you have a lot of these people commanding angels, like they're more powerful than these angels. You have Benny Johnson, Bill Johnson, who's heading up what's considered by many to be the biggest revival on the earth, which, which by the way, it came out of the whole laughing revival, which I did three audio cassettes. You can go online and look at holy laughter or, you know, divine or demonic type of messes I did on the holy laughter movement. But guess what? These guys, it, it blows me away, out of the laughing revival, which came, a lot of that came out of the Lonnie Frisbee in the vineyard movement, and this thing exploded from Lonnie Frisbee in the vineyard movement to other vineyards, to what became the laughing revival, the same spirit, and then it spread throughout a lot of the body of Christ, and now it's what's called the New Apostolic Reformation. It has really demonic roots, guys. And Lonnie was there using his cape, you know, you know, putting over people and stuff, and you know, zapping people and all kinds of weirdness became Christianized. And the, people started going to that vineyard. And all of a sudden they start laughing, having all these weird experiences by that same spirit he left there. And it just spread everywhere. Check out our... And praise God, I've made it very, very clear. I do believe that God was definitely working during the 60s, right? And I praise God for a lot of the Calvary chapels and so forth. But there was a mixed thing going on. And the spirit that was trying to use Lonnie was trying to create a false revival. And Chuck Smith said, no, Lonnie, you can't do this here like that. And then he ends up splitting, Okay. But it's crazy what happened there. Right now, there's a whole false revival. There's a, false, a spirit behind it. And right now, a lot of it is in Reading. Right now, people go there to get this spirit, right? And they bring it to other places. But I'm telling you right now, you need to be aware of what's going on. We need to be wise. Because it's crazy because Bill Johnson's wife, Benny Johnson, she changed her name, by the way, Benny. She named herself after Benny Hinn, by the way. Okay. Red flag, right? Kenneth Copeland just spoke there, by the way. One of the leaders of the Word Faith Movement who says, Jesus never claimed to be God. He told me, but we are gods, you know. And a lot of, he goes, and you know, the New Age, and they talk about witchcraft, New Age being a lot of like what they're doing, and we're just taking it back from the witch, witches and stuff, stuff that belongs to us. No, you're taking stuff that's not in the Bible from witches and bringing it into the body of Christ. This is scary stuff, guys. But guess what? Benny Johnson, Bill Johnson's head of the rival guy, guy, right? I mean, they'll go on stage and they'll take a witch's, a, a wizard's staff, literally. We have video of this. We play this in one of our shows. And you got Bill Johnson and other people there calling themselves apostles and stuff. This apostolic ministry, and they'll take the wizard staff and they'll like, just like Gandalf, we got to do it three times, you know, to banish racism. Racism didn't go anywhere, folks, okay? <laughs> to get rid of racism, you need to repent in your heart and get right with Jesus, amen? You don't just do a banishing ritual. This is witchcraft in the church, folks. But guess what Benny does? She commands angels. We show, we play, we, we, we do the whole thing where she's like, you know, they go to angels that have been dormant that are kind of asleep for hundreds of years or so, or a hundred years. Wakey, wakey! <laughs> Angel, wake up. Get the dust off it, and then you can command it. They have a song. That's why we don't do, you know, we don't do the Bethel stuff, the Bethel songs. They got a song calling angels. We don't call angels. We call the name of Jesus. Why would I want to call an angel when I call Jesus? Amen? Amen. So it just gets so weird out there, and I know I'm going speeding up a little bit, man, because I've already probably taken four minutes on this whole subject. But let's go ahead and pick up uh, at verse 11. Woe to them. That means judgment to them. For they have gone the way of Cain. What was the way of Cain? He made it up as he went. He established his own religion. Amen? God, he didn't want to give an animal sacrifice. He wanted to give a vegetable sacrifice. But man, it takes the blood. Amen? That blood was a picture with Christ. And many have gone the way of Cain. They're doing it their own way. They're dreamers. They're making it up. And they're just using a form of Christianity as they're making up their own form of Christianity. And Cain ended up, what? Killing his brother. Amen? And I'm telling you right now, when this whole thing goes down and this counterfeit revival becomes the kingdom of Antichrist, you're going to have a lot of people on the wrong side claiming to be Christians, working with the Antichrist, helping put us to death. Okay? That's what it says in the Scripture. It says, And for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam. Remember Balaam? gave Balak counsel on how to deceive the Israelites and get them out of that big, giant $3 million or three-person three uh, three cross-formation, right, for money. 
these guys are about money. So many of these guys. I mean, come on, you guys. I'm sorry, Paula White, she was the advisor, the main advisor that was appointed by Trump to advise him spiritually. He could have done a lot. We could have done way better than getting her, guys. That, she's a false prophet, okay, false teacher. I mean, she literally will say, God told me to send two, tell you to send 200 and some dollars in a month. And by doing that, you'll get blessed like you've never been blessed before. And she preaches that whole seed faith heresy that if you really want to be blessed, give this amount of money and everything. She's a total false teacher. Okay? Her and her husband, who's an ex-singer, or an ex-singer, an ex-member of the band Journey, are sitting there telling people, as her husband's telling people, hey, if you want to enrich your sex life, watch pornography together. You know, and Learn from porn, porn, porn. If your husband's into porn, watch the films with him and learn some things. You know, This is ungodly stuff, guys. These are ungodly people who have crept in the church. The way of Cain, the error of Balaam, and they perish in the rebellion, of course. You have the way of Cain, false religion. You have the error of Balaam, teaching that godliness is the means of financial gain, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter, or 1 Timothy chapter uh, 5 and 6. And then here you have, they perish in the rebellion of Korah. Now, earlier he says they despise authority. Korah despised Moses, right, and the authority that he had. And these folks despise the preaching of the Word of God. They despise God's authority over them because they're dreamers. They have their own message. And therefore, a message like this, rather than saying, praise God, which many of you have been saying, praise the Lord, this is important stuff, they'll be like, no, we don't want to have to submit to God. Because they don't want to repent of their pornography or their homosexuality or whatever it is or their adultery, you know. And by the way, you, when you look at the history of the New Apostolic Reformation, man, it's littered with with their leaders like Paul Cain and a lot of their top prophets have been involved in adultery, homosexuality. We'll have a whole teaching on that later. Uh, verse, verse twelve. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast. In other words, remember, they've crept in unaware. Lord, I've got to get through this last little bit really quick because I don't want to do part two because I want to have a whole series on this. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast. That's because they've crept in unaware. When they feast with you without fear, they don't have fear. They do not fear God. If you're looking for a church and you move, make sure the pastor and the elders and leadership fears God. Amen. But if you feel you can just do whatever you want, you know, and you just lose some rewards if you're in rebellion to God, you're not going to fear him. They don't fear. They care for themselves. Caring for themselves. They're self-centered. They're narcissistic. Clouds without water, meaning they promise you water. They promise you salvation, a salvation-type message, but they're empty clouds carried along with, by winds. Paul talks about the winds of false doctrine, Ephesians 4. Autumn trees without fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. There's no godly fruit in their lives where they can see they fear and love the Lord and have godly fruit. They're doubly dead, uprooted. Okay, Some believe that doubly dead means, hey, they're dead physically, meaning they're dead spiritually and physically. They're headed toward the second death. They don't have time to get into the different views on that. Verse 13, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. Isaiah uses this of the false prophets and the wicked. They're just casting up dirt and muck, right? Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Just like the angels that are going to eternal damnation, these guys are headed to black darkness forever. If you entertain falling away, being a false teacher, doing things like that, anything you get in this world, money or whatever it is, it's nothing, man. You're going to have black darkness forever. That's so, so, uh, do the math, man. And it's interesting here, wandering stars. Because in those days, I mean, they would fix their ships by the stars, right? The North Star or what have you, right? But if you had a wandering star, right, it could lead you astray. And that's what the false teachers are. They're not, the, they're not fixed like Jesus, our bright morning star, who's always the same. Verse 14, it was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. So these folks come in. They're at your love feast. They creep in unaware. They try to flatter people. They seem like they're godly. They say really nice things. They make you feel really good about yourself. But guess what? They're preaching a, a damnable message. Peter in 2 Peter calls it a damnable heresy. They're preaching a heresy that will damn the soul. Okay, And Jude warned about them. 
The Lord's going to come with 10,000. The, the Greek, it's just myriads and myriads. It's all kinds of saints. So like, it's, it's a number that signifies all kinds of his, his saints. And guess what? His holy ones. He's going to execute judgment upon the wicked. As Peter says, their judgment is not asleep. It's going to come catch up to them. And it's very important to know that. Now, go ahead and pick it up at uh, verse, did we leave off verse 16? Verse 17, but you, beloved, ought to remember, instead of listening to these false teachers, you guys, you ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay in the word, amen? We have a fixed star. His name is Jesus. We have the apostles and prophets. We read them. That they were saying to you in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. You should not be surprised that your ways, which is the ways of Christ, amen, are mocked in popular television and popular media, in movies, in music, amen. That's what the scripture said would happen, amen. Because they'd be walking after their own ungodly lust. These people just walk after lust. They don't understand spiritual things. The natural man can't receive the things of the Spirit, the Scriptures say. Verse 19. These are the ones who cause divisions. Worldly-minded. Devoid of the Spirit. So they come into your churches. They creep in. They're at your, your love feast. But guess what? They're worldly-minded. So when they hear us talk about living a holy life, talk about look, watch what kind of music that you listen to. Make sure you glorify God in your music. Oh, watch what you watch on the movies and make sure it's not all blaspheming God, right? And, 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 watch the, and be careful. Guess what? They're worldly-minded. They're devoid of the Spirit, so they cause divisions. Well, that's legalistic. Pastor Joe, Pastor Steve, you know, John and Chad, the elders and all that. That's a legalistic church because they say we're supposed to be careful what we listen to. Really? That's legalistic? That's what God's Word says. God's Word is not legalistic. Amen? They're saying we have to watch our behavior, that you can't just... That, that, they, they give too strong a warnings against pornography. I mean, I don't list, look at pornography very much, but, but they're just so legalistic. That's not legalism, folks. The psalmist said, I'll set nothing evil before my eyes. Amen? We preach the word of God. Amen? And by the way, you know what legalism is? It's when you teach the commandments of God as though the... I'm sorry, you teach the doctrines of men as though they're the commandments of God. We don't teach the doctrines of men here. Never did, never will. Amen? Okay, we preach the word of God right off the page. That's why you've been looking down so much, looking at the word, amen? Uh, they're void of the spirit. Verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, you need to be building yourself up in the faith in these days, amen? You need to make sure you're strong. That means you need to seek, you need to, seek to pray without ceasing. Nobody can do that perfectly all their lives, but you need to seek to constantly be in prayer. Say, Lord, be with me. Strengthen me. Help me be the man or the woman that you are. Amen. And fulfill your will in my life, Father. Constantly praying according to his word. Being in the word so you can pray according to his word. Amen. And by doing that and staying in prayer and praying in the Holy Spirit, meaning as the Holy Spirit encourages you, and his, this, the Word of God is, is written by the Spirit. It's breathed by the Spirit. Amen? So you pray according to His Word, and the Holy Spirit will minister to you, encourage you. You keep praying. You'll be built up in the faith in these last days. Amen? Because Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against us. Amen? Verse 21, keep yourselves. Now, earlier we read that we are kept by His, kept by his power. Amen? But then there's a tension. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. In other words, man, the love, the, word, the fountain of love. That stay in his love, amen? Abide in his love. Jesus says, abide in my love in John 15 when he talks about how we're the branches and he's the vine and that we're supposed to abide in him so we're not cut off, thrown in the fire and burned. He says we're supposed to abide in his love. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, amen? We're waiting. Now we have eternal life, but we're also waiting for eternal life, amen? We are saved, but our salvation is nearer than we first believed, so we are saved, but we're being saved and ultimately he that endures the end will be saved, amen? We are in the kingdom of God, yet Paul talks about entering or inheriting the kingdom of God. Amen? I love all those pictures. That's, that's biblical Christianity. They recognize that God's continuing to save us, but we're still on this earth. Therefore, we need to keep ourselves in love of God. How do you do that? You keep looking to Jesus in faith. You keep trusting in him. Amen? And in the, in the meantime, you realize, thank you, God, you're keeping me. As long as I, we're kept, I love 1 Peter 1.5 because I mentioned it before. It gives a perfect balance. We are kept by the power of God. Amen? Through faith. It's beautiful. That's the tension. Okay? He's keeping you. You just keep trusting him. Don't let your heart get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
Are you with me today? Yes. Praise God. I love verse 23. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. Man, we got some firemen in this church. I love these guys. And praise God. Are those bathrooms awesome? I know we've talked about that before, but they're so awesome. Sometimes I just sit there for hours. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just joking, okay? I don't know if I've ever sat on one of our toilets, but verse 23. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. We're firemen. We're all spiritual firemen. Amen? You've been snatched out of the fire through the gospel. You snatch others out of the fire. Now this, I believe, could be applied to lost people, but also to people who are in the church who are being deceived by this false message, who are living a wicked life, but been taught that once they're saved, they're always saved no matter what they do. Snatch them out of the fire. Now some have mercy, he says, with fear. Have mercy with fear, man. Why? Hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. In other words, guess what? Don't go in and try to rescue someone thinking you're high and mighty that you can't fall. Oh, I'm so holy. I would never do that. No, have mercy. Recognize we could all, all fall, and all of us have in many ways through our Christian walks. We've fall, fallen short. Amen. Fear that you too could be snatched. Like Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, right? When you're, saving, when you're bringing others back, do it with a spirit of gentleness, lest you too be tempted. Amen. Have humility. Verse 24, now to him, I love this man, now to him who is able to keep you from falling or stumbling in NSB and make you stand before the presence of his glory, right? With what? With blameless, with great joy. Amen. Praise God. He is able to keep us from falling. But wait, it talks about all these people that fell and he's warning us not to fall. Yeah. He's able to keep us from falling. Look to him. Amen. That's why you need to pray in the Holy Spirit. That's why you need to consider the words of the apostles, he says. You need to stay in the word. You need to stay in prayer. And by staying in the word and staying in the prayer, that will, that's how the Lord keeps you from falling. But you have to do your part, which is put your faith in his word. Amen? You need to pray to him, put your faith in his, in his keeping power. Trust him. Talk to him. Read his word. It's a two-way street. You read the word. You, you remember the words of the apostles. You seek his word. You're listening to him through faith. Amen? And you're talking to him, saying, Lord, you're talking back to him. Say, Lord, strengthen me. Help me walk according to your word. Amen? That's how you're kept by the power of God and how you keep yourself from falling. That's attention. Are you with me today? Yes. Praise God. I love this. Verse 25, last verse. To the only God, our Savior, praise God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Everything belongs to the Lord ultimately. Amen. Today you have these pride parades. It's all about man and us and our own laws, our own rules, and even our children are being victimized by this whole movement, man. It's not about us, guys. All glory goes to him. It's going to be for him forever. And as long as you're giving glory to him and you're living for him, and you're, you love him and you're trusting your faith is in him, you will continue to give him glory forever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Let us all please stand. Do you like going through one book at a time sometimes? Yeah. Too bad there are not more books like the size of Jude. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Amen.